Hello, and welcome to Milwaukee Rep's Community Conversations podcast. My name is Courtney McInary, and I'm the Director of Community Engagement here at the Rep. Each season, we invite dozens of community leaders to connect the stories on our stages with the stories of Milwaukee through a series of panel discussions. These discussions are a part of our Community Conversations series dedicated to Milwaukee Rep's mission of igniting positive change through world-class theater that inspires meaningful dialogue. You can attend these panel discussions by checking out our events calendar online at milwaukeerep.com. All Community Conversations events are free and open to the public. Or you can join us from the comfort of your home as we stream the panels on Facebook Live. You can also do what you're doing right now and listen in afterwards via our Community Conversations podcast. Hi, this is Nebra Nelson, the Community Engagement Associate at Milwaukee Rep. Today's panel is on the topic of Building Fences and Walls, Immigration Policy and Sanctuary Cities, and is presented in conjunction with our performance of One House Over. The panelists who joined us for this discussion are Pascal Rodriguez, Lead Principal of Bruce Guadalupe School, Chez Ordonez, Vice Chair of the Equal Rights Commission, Mohamed Del Basat, Principal Engineer at Johnson Controls, and Barbara Graham, Program Director of Catholic Charities Legal Services for Immigrants. And it was moderated by yours truly. Enjoy. And talk about how about what in this play connects to you, uh, your life, or your work. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for staying. Uh, so I'm Chaz Ordonez. Uh, I am uh, Milwaukee native. Uh, I'm the vice chair of the Equal, Milwaukee Equal Rights Commission. I've served on the commission for over five years now. Uh, commission is charged uh, with everything from, of course, ensuring and enforcing equal rights for all uh, within the city of Milwaukee. Uh, but beyond that, uh, just almost like this play, bringing people to the table and fostering change, having a conversation that isn't always easy to have, or uh, conversations that we're not used to having uh, with others. That can be from Hispanic, Black, uh, Middle Eastern, uh, LGBT, you name it. The idea is to get people together. Uh, and so that's kind of what we hope for uh, on Equal Rights Commission. Um, I guess a little bit about myself, kind of what it kind of relate to me. So. Uh, like I said, Milwaukee native. I'm Italian and Mexican. Mother's from Sicily, dad's from Mexico. I'm first generation uh, American. Uh, and so when they were like, Italy's overrated, I was like, no, no, it's not. Uh, but I think, you know, beyond that, you see the different dynamics uh, from different cultures, different immigrants uh, living together, and how while they're still immigrants, they still have. Uh, kind of a line between them because they don't understand each other, different circumstances. There's no golden ticket. But I think the beautiful thing at the end of it is that you find uh, there's a common human bond, a human love at the end that people can start at polar opposites but bring it together. You know, I think when I think of myself, uh, my father's uh, stepfather uh, was uh, white. Uh, Swedish. Uh, he was in the military, married my grandmother. Uh, when I was a child, I never knew any better. I mean, he was just, and I never called him grandfather. I always called him William by his first name. Um, I just thought that was a normal thing that people did in their families. Uh, and, you know, I got older, I became his caretaker, and I lived with him. And you can see that even that he was married to my grandmother, who was Mexican, and his adopted children were Mexican, uh, that 
he came from total opposite, from one side, like Milos, from one side of the room all the way to the other. So I think the end, it, what it related to me was that's family. Uh, and so, yeah, kind of saw it kind of full circle. So thank you. Hi, my name's Barb Graham. I'm an attorney at Catholic Charities. Um, one of the reasons the church picked up doing immigration is because if you're an undocumented immigrant, you're not eligible for federally funded legal services. So even though you're in the Renton County jail space waiting for an asylum claim or you're, you don't get a court-appointed attorney. You just kind of hang out in Walworth County hoping you can find someone who can get to Walworth County who would represent you. But my first asylum client was in the Walworth County jail for a year, but you could find someone who would, would represent him. We've got five staff attorneys and 4,000 clients. Um, we're also the largest re refugee resettlement agency in the state. So right now we've got a lot of Burmese and Rwanda, um, Somali people. Um, most of what we do is trying to help people get their families back together, trying to get their spouses, their children, um, trying to help people understand rumor versus reality. So we did YouTube videos. And just with my little camera, we did YouTube videos. We got 5,000 hits from my little abandoned convent on the of Washington, which amazes me. Um, we probably, 80% of our clients are native Spanish speakers. Um, most of what we do is either court work, which is all out of Chicago. So if you're in deportation, if you're going down to Chicago, I'll be down there at nine o'clock on Friday morning, taking the Amtrak at six. Um, the asylum work is all out of Chicago. But most of our goal is to try to people, help people understand what's real and reality, what's realistic, how long it'll take, how much it'll cost, and what their options are. Um, that's basically what we do. I don't do that kind of job that's good. Um, <laughs> I work for Johnson Controls. I'm an engineer. Um, I do energy efficiency, so that's 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 good. Um, but I guess, uh, so I'm from Lebanon. I moved to the U.S. in 2006. Uh, my golden ticket is basically uh, getting into Marquette, and that was my ticket to Milwaukee, and I've been here since. Uh, in I just got my green card in September. Uh, last time I was on a panel here at the Rep was uh, during the showing of Disgraced, and it was the same day that Trump said that certain countries from the Middle East were banned. Lebanon was not one of them, which was good. Um, and then uh, how that play relates to me is uh, that extraordinary uh, part that they mentioned. Uh, so I got my green card through the extraordinary uh, uh, non or immigrant uh, program. Uh, my friends joke, I'm extraordinary. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so I've kind of embraced that. Um, and yeah, that's kind of all I want to say about that part. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Pascual Rodriguez, native of Milwaukee. Uh, parents uh, born and raised in Puerto Rico, um, came to the United States in the early 50s, and uh, so as growing up in the River West area, I was able to witness the um, <clears throat> difficulties they had, um, even though we were quote unquote citizens of, of the United States, the assimilation from coming from Puerto Rico to the United States was a difficult one for my parents. I currently, as mentioned, I'm principal at Bruce Guadalupe Community School, um, over 1,300 students, 97% of them which are um, Latino descent. Of that, about 75% are Mexican descent, and so, how the uh, play um, really touched me was um, I'm there in the forefront with uh, some of these students who have uh, parents who are uh, in the same circumstances as Camila and Rafael, and we see on a daily basis the struggles that these individuals have to go through 
and um, hearing the stories that they bring to the table, um, especially now more than ever before, um, strikes uh, at the heart of what we have to do um, at, at the school, and that's really changing lives, and hopefully one day we can help change the perception of what these people and who these individuals are and what they bring to our communities. Um, and that's our job at the school. Um, certainly, I'm throughout, throughout the next 30 minutes or so, I'm, I'm hoping to share some of those experiences that I've had with these kids as it relates to immigration and the difficulties that they find themselves in on a daily basis. Yeah, and each of you work with, work with obviously, or interact daily with immigrant populations. Um, so this is exactly what, uh, what um, you were just talking about, Pascal. How are the shifting pol political policies around immigration affecting the people that you know and work with, or affecting yourself? Well, as I mentioned, um, we have over 1,300 students at Bruce, and one of the challenges is um, when you hear about the policies that are going through and um, through this country, and having to witness firsthand a first grader um, come up to you in the morning in tears, wondering if their mom and dad are going to pick them up at the end of the day. These are the realities that we face and the difficulty is for that child then to, for any teacher to expect that child to focus on English, math, science, and social studies when the fear of being dropped off in the morning, um, not knowing if mom and dad are going to come pick them up because in some cases they hear their families and they're discussing these issues at home and the kids are listening to these discussions that the parents are having. When you have a child who comes to you and um, speaks and says, my mom and dad, I heard, overheard my mom and dad speak about um, what are the plans if um, they're not there to pick me up? Who would I stay with? Who's going to pick me up? And what are those things that they have to do to prepare in the event that mom and dad are not going to be there? So I see firsthand the difficulties that these families face every day as our students um, every day, regardless if they're undocumented or not, we purposely say the Pledge of Allegiance with pride, and beginning in K-3, these kids stand up every day, put their right hand across their heart, and pledge allegiance to a flag that in some cases, some of them may have been born here, and in some cases, many of them, this is the only country they know, and might have come here illegally with their parents. And uh, so we have to see this firsthand and try to work with these kids to give them hope that education is the way we're going to get you through this. And for many of us, um, we take those things for granted. Because when you have a young child or a young man or woman who's gone through the system, whether public or private, and get to the 12th grade and are handing the diploma, and good luck going to private or public um, um, secondary, uh, excuse me, um, post-secondary education, that's not a reality for some of our kids. Uh, and so many of them wonder, so I stood up and pledged allegiance for the last 14 years of my life. I've given you everything, and now you're telling me that from this day on, really you can't do anything for me because I don't have access to public education, um, even though I've been here since the age of three or the age of two or the age of five or whatever. These are the stories that we hear on a daily basis. So our hope is that we can help educate our kids, help educate the community and know that these individuals do bring a purpose to our community and uh, they have a mission, and that mission is to become the best individuals they can be, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what side of the world they came from, 
Um, many of them didn't have a choice in coming here. Our job is to hopefully one day change that narrative so one day we can accept them in, uh, as a citizen of the United States. Does anyone else want to comment? How, did, how this, how shifting in political policies affect yourself or the people that you interact with daily? Uh, I mean, uh, my, my answer is going to be short. Uh, so I had not been back home since 2010, and I went recently after I got my green card, so over uh, the holidays. And uh, I guess the shifting policies is just coming back. Would I be accepted back in? That was a fear that was there, um, which didn't happen. Uh, but that was, you know, if, if it was a couple of years before that, I would not have thought that. Uh, so I think personally that's how it affected me. So the day after the election, I walked into work and um, people were already planning to leave the United States. Nothing had happened yet. Like it was, it was way too soon to have a panic attack. And once upon a time, I used to think I had a pretty decent crystal ball on the immigration future, and I don't have that anymore. I can't be proactive anymore. I'm just reacting like to stuff as fast as we can. So, you know, the first thing we did was we put a deportation kit together for people. So they would have discussions about um, where do we pay the mortgage, where do we pay the rent, where do we pay the car insurance, get powers of attorney for people so that they can pick up the last paycheck, um, if they need to file restraining orders with the school, down to who's the vet and who's going to pick up the dog. Um, and then there was the rumor that you could do a power of attorney for your child. Well, your child's not a chattel, he's a person. You need a guardianship for a child. So we were trying to undo those rumors that started. We did YouTube videos on like, just calm down yet. You don't know what it's going to be. We also tried to make people understand the process of deportation is not the worst thing that can happen to you. There are eight judges in Chicago and they're not bad folk. And they have jurisdiction or power to do things that USCIS can't do. So if you're in the process of deportation, you can get a work permit while it's, while it's pending. There are times when marriage to a US citizen will not get you a green card, but you might get one from a judge. The problem is you need to find a competent lawyer. And, and most people, I mean, all of my clients are under 125% of the federal poverty level. They don't understand you should go lawyer shopping. Like just because you have a law degree doesn't mean you're a rocket scientist or, or an extraordinary ability person. But you should go lawyer shopping. It's an employee-employer relationship. So we put together lists of people we think are good lawyers, not necessarily price gougers. So the best is not the most expensive, and the worst is not the cheapest. So we're trying to, you know, really our goal is to make sure that you don't you don't file anything until you know you're eligible to get it, because you don't want to throw yourself under that bus. On the other hand, once you're there, we want to make sure you have an understanding about what's your future going to look like, and what can you plan for in three or four years out, and what, what, can, you, what can you do for your children, and, and how much is it going to cost, and um, really just try to lower people's anxiety levels with some accurate information and some understanding what their life is going to look like. Okay, so that's all very hard to follow up. Uh, so I think how I see it on a, on a I guess, everyday basis um, is a, a little bit different. Um, so we're necessarily not seeing families, but when you look at, when I say Equal Rights Commission, it's just human rights, human relations. Uh, if someone, if the climate that we are with immigration, um, how does someone come forward to say that they're being discriminated against? or that they're being used or taken advantage of? How does a woman at work, documented or not, afraid to come forward that her boss is sexually harassing her? How do we say that a woman coming for, or a man, 
that their spouse is a piece of crap and they're beating me, but I'm afraid to come forward. If I know if I come forward and I call the police, in their mind, they're gonna call immigration. So why would a woman, why would a man, why would a child come forward uh, if they are afraid every single day? I think that it goes beyond that. And then you look at just a bigger kind of perspective of why people are coming here. Um, and why are we not doing more? Now, we can be either on one side of the fence or the other, and I think that this play was beautiful in the way that it kind of orchestrated that, but, and really, take out the fence, take out the border, it's, it's people. So I think it's understanding why people are coming here, the uh, kind of oppression that they have, the discrimination that they have, and how do we solve it as neighbors? This has nothing to do with red or blue or anything in between. It's how do we see it? So those are the type of things that we're seeing on a daily basis. It's how do we break these barriers? If you are an undocumented and you come to this country or an immigrant, now I think the clout of we're just gonna do these mass deportations is something that is real. We have to take that as real. But how do we assure people locally that we're gonna protect them? How do we know that everything that you all do respectively of where we come from and varying professions, how do we get the word out to our communities to say that it's gonna be all right? When really we don't have that crystal ball. We don't actually know if it actually is going to be all right. So it's how do we foster this dialogue and how do we ensure protections for all? So that's kind of what, how I see it on a, on a daily basis. So uh, we're gonna open it up for questions um, in just a moment, but. For, mostly for Jess and Barbara, uh, what is a sanctuary city, and is Milwaukee one? I'll let you go first. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so sanctuary isn't what's called a term of art. It doesn't mean one thing. Different people use sanctuary to mean very different things. Some people consider themselves sanctuary movements because they donate money. On the opposite side of the spectrum is people consider themselves sanctuary programs because it, it has to necessity involve civil disobedience. What we heard mainly in sanctuary cities closest to Chicago, and Chicago's point was that they didn't want people being afraid to call the police, much as you were saying, because no one's gonna cooperate with the police in criminal investigations if you think your, your reward for cooperating is your own deportation, you'd be an idiot. And you have to understand too, most people come from countries where calling the police is not plan A. Calling the police is gonna only make your life infinitely more complicated because the police are not your, but they're not there to protect you. Bribe and graft rule the world. In Mexico, the federal police have raided the local police. I live in Elm Grove. I can't imagine like the FBI raiding the Elm Grove Police Department. It's just not in my, you know, my wheelhouse of thoughts. But um, for, for those people who are afraid to call the police, Chicago wanted to make sure that didn't happen. And the lawsuits you heard was what the, the the Department of Justice was not going to give money, it's called burn money, to Chicago. And all this burn money was, was to protect the police. It was for flak jackets and sidearms, and it was for training. And it was automatic money. You didn't compete for it. If you qualified, you got the money. And the Department of Justice said, you're not getting the money unless you promise to let us into your jails, to deport people, and give us access to what, we, what might be undocumented immigrants. And they said, look, we don't have those kind of jails. We can't give you 24-hour access. Most of them are city jails. And the, the suit didn't go well. It didn't, it, it, I, you can download it if you want to. There's a thing called Pacer. It's not a great read. But you can actually download it if you want to read it. But we are not a sanctuary city. Um, for a time, the, the Sheriff's Department bid to cooperate with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It didn't go through. It didn't happen. 
But you'll see, and it's really odd, sporadically, different counties react really differently. There'll be a time when, for example, Waukesha County will turn people in, and then they won't for a year. And then there'll be two weeks where they turn everybody in, and then they won't for a year. Same thing with the, the outlying counties. For the most part, though, um, they are Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the Immigration Police, who in theory I should hate, they don't deport domestic violence victims for the most part. I, you'll get these creepy husbands who will call in trying to get their wives deported because the easiest way to get custody of your kids is to get your spouse deported, right? She's not here, no custody fight, no maintenance. But they've been pretty good. They've actually sent us clients knowing that they're domestic violence victims and that they should have some way out of the debacle they're in. Um, so I'm taking up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> So it, Milwaukee, like you said, Milwaukee is not a sanctuary city. Uh, if I'm correct, Milwaukee County is a sanctuary county. I don't know that. Google it. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but maybe if I'm just making stuff up, I should have my own talk show. Um, I like it. Yeah, I believe it is. Um, and so when you, when you look at these things, and I know uh, the mayor and the council have actively discussed it. We discussed it in the Equal Rights Commission. Um, what would that mean? What are the ramifications? I think there's a lot of scary news. Sanctuary City, we're letting all these, we're letting all these rapists and criminals in, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna call the police, and they're just going to take our children and other things. Uh, so I think it's understanding of what actually a sanctuary is, and right, I think that's varying to different aspects. I see it from a very different aspect because it's not about, again, the political side of it. It's about human rights uh, and. People can easily argue, and I hear it all the time, to say, well, it's not their human rights, it's not their country. Um, so they don't get rights here. They should have rights everywhere else. Well, what kind of the heck of a society are we? What kind of people are we? What kind of a nation are we? If we're not looking out just for our neighbors, but uh, beyond those fences, beyond those walls. Because in the end, we're all connected. So I think it's, no, Milwaukee is not. I think the conversation is, should Milwaukee be one? I think it's a much broader perspective Personally, I would love it if we were. But what does that even mean? Does it mean we're just not going to cooperate with uh, federal immigration? Or are there other ways around it? Do we have to actually be called sanctuary city in order to protect people, residents that are living here? So I think it's a broader, it's a broader conversation, and there's not one easy answer. Anybody have a, any burning question for the panelists today? No questions? Oh, yeah. So marrying a US citizen does not get you a green card. It doesn't like to show up in the mail. To marry, and it's really complicated because when we give you a green card, it's called admitting you to the United States, and there are a lot of reasons we won't admit you and they're called the grounds of inadmissibility. So if you enter unlawfully, we won't give you a green card. You've got to go back home to do the green card with a couple of very narrow exceptions. So for DACA, if they entered unlawfully when they were little, getting DACA is not going to let them get a lawful entry out of it. Some people got something called advanced parole, which let them leave and re-enter. If that happened, then you got a lawful entry, and then if you married a US citizen, it's less complicated, maybe. Um, but it really, we have to, like, we, our consults are one hour before you take the client on. We sit down and we look at like, all the problems of your past to make sure that we can get around all of those before you file. But getting down the in and of itself, will not give you this golden ticket to marrying a U.S. citizen unless you've got a lawful entry. We can actually take one more question since that was pretty straightforward. If anyone has any other questions. 
Yeah. What's the answer? Uh, well, I'm serious. I'm serious. I mean, are we going to, as a country, are we going to be able to deal with this issue? Hmm. Or are we going to just keep on kicking this can down the road uh, because our elected officials cannot come to some sort of agreement? Is this about us? Everybody in this room? I mean, just maybe one comment on the wall. It's my personal pet peeve at the moment. So the wall, you can build a wall, that's fine, but the wall only covers the tip of Texas to the southern part of California. It's got nothing to do with the other half of the southern coast going toward Florida. So you're assuming that Mexico, that's got the Atlantic on one side and the Pacific on the other side, has never considered how to build a boat, which is how all the Dominicans got in and the Cubans got in and all of, like they've never done it. But of course they have. I mean, the other thing is, Anybody who's heard of El Chapo understands that you build a tunnel, you build a, a wall, I build a tunnel. They're $2 million, they get at least that much their first drug run through. They have elevators, HVAC, electrical, smooth walls, and I swear they comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is more than my office does. You can't get my office unless you do the stairs. So, you know, you can build all the wall you want for all the money you want. It's not going to stop anything because people want to eat. They want to, like, feed their kids and sleep at night. And maybe also, I'd love to also end, up, end with um, Pascal. Hearing from the youth that I've been to Bruce Guadalupe School and heard from some of the kids there, they're really um, intuitive. What have you been hearing about what, they, what they've been saying? What is the answer? Well, you know, in an elementary school, you don't get many intuitive thought processes like that because they're too young. Um, but I can tell you that based on conversations we've had is, you know what, how do you fix it is, you got to vote, right? And if you don't like the elected officials that are voting um, in favor of deportation or whatever the lack of is, you got to get out and vote. And that's what we tell our families, those that have the ability to, um, that have the voice, that want to speak, um, even though uh, obviously we are the voice of those that cannot speak and those that cannot go to the voting polls. It's my job as a citizen, if I strongly believe in something, is to make sure that I, even though the long the line for voting may be a mile long, that I stay in that line and I want my voice to be heard. And that's the message we have to tell our people is the only way you're going to change it is through going out and voting and putting those people in place that are going to make that change. Until we do that, this is the kicking the can that we're going to have for the next 20, 30 years, is getting those people out there in line, making sure they put the people in office that are going to do what the most of Americans want done. Thanks for joining us for this community conversations panel. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media with the hashtag MILWREP to let us know your thoughts. We hope to see you at the Rep or on Facebook Live for the next dialogue, but if you aren't able to be there, you can always find our most recent panel discussions here on the Community Conversations Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, there are more ways to get involved with the rep. You can attend a community dinner, come to a post-show dialogue facilitated by the Zeidler Center for Public Discussion, or you can dive into the artistic process yourself during our community workshops. Visit our website at milwaukeerep.com and click on the Engage and Learn tab for more information. Until then, stay engaged.